Today on No Boring Stories, I'm going to tell a story. It's episode 87 of No Boring Stories, and this one's about parties and funerals. Let's get into it. Welcome to the No Boring Stories podcast. Do you know that you can use storytelling to captivate your audience, clarify your message, and grow your business and impact like never before? That's why I'm here. Each episode bringing you transformative stories, expert storytellers, and my signature storytelling tools, all to help you tell a better story. Because there's no such thing as boring stories, just boring storytellers. I'm your host, Alex Street, and the two best parties that I've ever been to were the funerals of my parents. I grew up in a home of people that I thought were genuinely magic. My dad was a photographer and I saw him create things. I'm telling you, like create images that I saw in a print and I was like, what? How is that happening? He really specialized in ballet photography. So he had this studio in downtown Toronto and I would go and hang out there sometimes with him. Um, You know, I'd be a little nuisance in the corner while he's trying to set up. And sometimes he'd put me to work as free labor and set up the light stands and things. But then I saw what he was doing in there and he'd just snap a photo of somebody jumping and twirling around or whatever. And then I saw the finished product. And the finished product was something that he magically created in the basement of our house in his own dark room. And again, I'd go and hang out in there and it was kind of loud. There's always water running. He's got these three different bins of um, material or liquid. And they're all doing a different thing. He had this device called, like, I called it the enlarger. And it's you simply put the, the negative in or the transparency in the top. And then it shines it down kind of like a projector. And somehow that image magically ends up on the paper. I'm telling you, this was true magic for an eight-year-old. Hell, for a 17-year-old, this was magic to see this happen. And then to see the pride that he took in that work, to see how much he cared, and then to see him go through his life and watch that career essentially spiral out of control and just be a, a, a shadow of what it once was. See, my dad never really made the jump to digital photography. He grew up and worked on film with film for 30 years. And then all of a sudden everything went digital and he didn't switch or catch up in time. Now things are going back to film and like he would have thrived in this. But uh, uh, unfortunately, he missed that one. And so this thriving, amazing, magical career kind of ended up very quiet and with few people actually knowing his name. Where one point he was world renowned, David Street, photographer. And near the end of his life, there were a few people who knew even where he was. My mom, on the other hand, my mom, uh, well, I mean, she was magical in a different way. So she would be on stage, and, and I didn't really see her on stage much until I was a young teen. But growing up, I saw her put events together. She was on the, the school board or, you know, on the parent council of our school, and she created a craft show to raise money for the school. She created a uh, winter show, a pantomime, or like a production, and she brought all 
all these people together. She had a major part in creating the Santa Claus parade float for the school. If there was some event going on at the school, the fun fair that she started at our grade school with all these different rooms and, and amazing games and activities all to raise money for the school. If there was something that was going on, she had her hand in it. And I just kind of took it for granted. I just saw it happen. And then she brought that kind of magic into our home and created parties in our home. Mostly, what I remember was around our birthday parties. And especially for me, I remember because I had all these food allergies, she would try to make it like extra special and, and somehow create something that made me feel normal. Now, sometimes that was literally just putting a pineapple on a plate and sticking a number candle next to it. But my goodness, I have this image of me looking at that cake or that, that pineapple like it was pure gold. I loved this stuff, and that's what my mom brought, was this turning the mundane moments into something magical. With that ability, I grew up feeling and just knowing that this is who these people were. My dad creating something from nothing and just being so proud and wanting to show it off and, and have that be his identity. My mom creating a whole world, whether she was on the stage or she was in your living room, she created this world, this environment for you to enter into. This was what I grew up with. So... When I was 25 years old and had a little kid and then, no, I would have been older than that, 27, um, 20, well, anyways, around there, 25, 27, um, my mom uh, called us up one day. I had uh, two, two little kids at that point, I guess. They were probably four and, and one or five and two, something like that. And she called us up and said, uh, my darling, for Easter... I'd love to have you come over to the home. Um, and she lived, you know, just down the street. And uh, she's like, we're going to have everybody here. It's going to be wonderful. Uh, you don't have to bring anything. We'll do food. We'll have a lovely afternoon. You go to church and then come here after and, and we'll have everything taken care of. Great. Fa fabulous. We'll do an Easter egg hunt. Uh, be for the kids. Excellent. Fantastic. Sounds so fun. We'll be there, mama. And so... We show up, and a couple days or a couple days closer to the event, she calls and says, uh, "Just a slight change. I just want you to be prepared um, to uh, wear something, wear whatever you want, but be prepared to uh, to get into costume." <laughs> okay. Okay, now we're getting serious. Now this feels normal. Okay, so we show up and we get there. And as soon as we get into the home, she shuffles us one by one into a room, different rooms in the house. She says, okay, you come over here. You come over here. No, no. And then I've got my, my daughter and my son in there and, and she takes them off into a room. And then one by one, we all walk out. And we realize <laughs> that we are all dressed like Snow White and the seven dwarfs. I got to be the handsome prince wearing tights and all. Uh, my wife was a grown-up version of Snow White. My daughter was a smaller version of Snow White. And there was seven dwarves with pickaxes made from pool noodles and a little cut-out piece of cardboard at the end to look like a pickaxe so my two-year-old son wouldn't actually damage anything. We spent the day like this. I mean, we had dinner like this. 
my uh, my my some of my family went out front to have a smoke standing on the front porch dressed as a dwarf with a fake beard while people walked by. How you doing? Yeah, you know, working away. Hi ho, hi ho. This was how we spent the day, and it was like it was nothing. It was just the way it was. But of course, it was everything. Never one to just have an Easter party. The next year, same thing. Now we have a bit of an expectation, except this time. We were Alice in Wonderland. My daughter was Alice. My wife was big version of Alex. Alice, I was, uh, I was one, I, my, me and my son were Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Don't know what that means. My brother was the white rabbit in a full-size human adult <laughs> rabbit costume. This is who she was. My dad, I found out um, just recently, actually, through most of his career, was also a party thrower. He was known in the industry as the one who throws the parties. Hey, yeah, you get getting a portrait done with David. Well, you're gonna, gonna have a wild time there. I remember at Christmas time him stirring up this bucket of eggnog. I kid you not. Think of like a what twenty gallon bucket of paint, emptied out, cleaned out. And then him using a drill with a mixer uh, extension on the end. And I walk downstairs to the basement. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just stirring the eggnog. As he's pouring in a bottle of rum into this homemade eggnog that he brought. And then took down with him to the studio. And those were the kind of parties that he had. Hosting everyone there. Putting on his charm. And of course, near the end of his life... That's exactly what he was known for around the hospital, around the rehab center, was his charm, his personality, what he brought. He talked about two things while he was in the hospital. His kids, me and my brother, and his photographs. Two things that he was most proud of. His kids and his images, his work. So when we got to the end of both of their lives, my mom now has been gone 10 years and my dad was two years after that, so eight years. When my mom went, and uh, of course she uh, breathed her last first, uh, it was devastating. Uh, I've talked about that before and I'll probably tell the, the story in depth in another episode. But when we get to the end of that, there's this fascinating moment, isn't there? If you've lost someone close to you, you know this. You're grieving. And then you have to plan something. It's like in this moment of loss, you are the one charged to make something of it, to bring people together. It's a bizarre thing. It's like on your birthday, how you are the one who's supposed to serve the cake. This is your thing to sit in. Why are you the one doing the work? And yet, this is where you are. And what I realized, what I discovered through this was, oh, this is part of the healing process. Being able to create this experience for people was exactly what my mom would have wanted to do, would have wanted to do just right, and would have loved to do. And while I did that, while I dove into that and started to create what is this funeral going to be, how do we possibly celebrate this woman's life, we opened up and started to ask the question, well, what would uniquely be hers? And of course, it was going to be at the theater. She had spent the last 20 years working at one specific theater, 
It was a dinner theater, actually. And so when we thought about where it's going to happen, we asked them, can we host this here? And they willingly, enthusiastically said, yes. And can we actually provide the food at no cost? We said, well, yes, of course you can. And so now it's a partnership. Now it's a beautiful thing with lots of people involved trying somehow to bring goodness in this desperately grief-filled grief time. And as I then work to say, okay, what's the program going to be? What's the schedule going to be? Because I'd been in, in youth ministry for 12, 15 years at that point. I'd been creating events. I knew how to put an event together and how to take people on a ride. Think of the story arc, right? From beginning to end, what do we want to help them see? And I knew what we wanted to help them see. I knew how we wanted to to, to help them celebrate my mom and who that was. And I knew some people that I wanted to come in and say some things. And then I wanted to actually show who she was. And since we're going to be on stage, why don't we use the stage and present this and show her her acting on this stage? And so we took videos of a bunch of her old shows and clipped them together so that people could see her acting on stage. And I made a couple of slideshows. And as I was working through those slideshows, I saw people, people everywhere, her with so many different people, and yet she was mine. How is she with all these people when she's only mine? How do all these people feel like they know her when I'm the only one who knew her? Do you feel like that with someone? That's how I felt with her. And, and when we opened up this space, a 175-seat auditorium, and we invited people, and we told people to invite their people, and then we didn't know where it would go beyond that, and we printed 175 programs, and and we had a plan to get up and have four people talk, and then have these, these vignettes of video in between, and I was going to emcee it, and I got up, and I had a smile on my face. I had a speech, a little speech prepared about Peter Pan and all these things. And I had this giant smile on my face because when you look out and you see the people here who love the one that you love, you can't help but smile. Of course, over the next hour or so through the actual production or program, there were weeping tears. And then there was raucous laughter in the auditorium as stories were shared. Have you been to a funeral like that? But here's where it really got fun. When we said, we'll go downstairs and have a meal now. Everybody sort of left and people were saying, well done and all that stuff. But everyone was heading downstairs. And I was one of the last ones in the theater as I shut down stuff and just sort of, you know, said goodbye to her and to the experience. And then I walked down the stairs, and it was this noise. People. Uh-oh, people. And I walked in, and people were talking. People were laughing. People were sharing stories. And that smile on my face got bigger. I walk around, and I was saying hi to people, and I was receiving their sentiments, and I was hugging people, and I... I was seeing them cry, and I was mostly smiling. And someone said to me, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm great. Like, no, really, are you like this? Are you hiding your feelings? Or like, I just want to check in. And this was someone close to me that trusted me. I said, I'll tell you what, this is the most beautiful thing. I'm having a great time. This is where I need to be. And then someone came up to me and said, in that conversation, they sort of interrupted and said, Alex, I got to go, but your mom would have loved this. 
one of the best parties I've ever been to. A couple years later, when my dad passes away, we ask the same questions. Well, what would make this uniquely his? And again, at that time, as I said, you know, few people really knew where he was. I didn't know who he was still connected to. I didn't know how to reach out to people and where to find them. So we did our best and we reached out to those that we knew and said, hey, this has happened. And, and we took our time with it. We, we had him cremated and then took some time to actually plan something. And this wasn't going to be something where, again, it wasn't going to be at a theater and it wasn't going to be in a church. Certainly, he rarely darkened the door of a church. And so why would we put him in there? So instead, we rented out a space. We put on an art show. And the only art on display was his. I mean, I've got piles and piles of his prints. I've got buckets of his transparencies still from his 40-year career in in photography. And so we took those prints, we unpacked them, we put them up on the wall and hung them and put them on display. We invited people to come from this time to this time and said that at this time there will be a small program where me and my brothers say something about this man. People walked around, there was coffee, there was snacks, there was mingling Somebody came up to me and said, your dad would have loved this. Why? Because what are the two things that he loved to talk about most? His kids and his work. And his kids put his work on display. And we had a great time. We laughed, we talked, we told stories. People came up and told me stories. People that were in some of the photographs that hadn't seen my dad for 30 years came up and told me the story about that time, that moment 30 years ago when he showed up and he brought the charm and he captured that moment specifically for them. We had a photo booth set up because something that my dad did at the end of every photo shoot he did, it didn't matter if he was taking a photograph of the prima ballerina or the top CEO or the lady on the street, he got them with the last frame of his role. He said, okay, stick your tongue out, darling. No, I'm serious. Stick your tongue out. Ready? On three, I'm going to take a picture. Stick your bloody tongue out. One, two, three, snap. There we go. Good. And he has this whole series of images of people sticking their tongue out for him. When he died, he was actually working on a book called Tongue in Cheek, where he's going to display these photographs and tell the story of them. We have some small write-ups, and hopefully one day that comes to fruition. The best parties I've been to were the two funerals of the people who raised me, the people who brought magic and truly created in ways that I haven't seen since. These moments that are there to say goodbye, these parties, these funerals that are there as a chance for us to celebrate them and say goodbye, in these instances were moments where I got to create something, we got to create something that was uniquely theirs. So now, when I think about those, I choose to live in such a way that those planning my funeral will know what would make it uniquely mine. I imagine there will be a bouncy castle (laughs) because I am living in such a way that they know that I would want to have a party. Now, you may not want to have a party at your funeral. You may not want it to feel like a party. Maybe you want people grieving, crying, weeping. I promise you it will come. But at least live in such a way that people would know how to say goodbye to you in such a way that someone will come up to you to those that you love at that party 
and say they would have loved this. This has been No Boring Stories. I am Alex Street, and we are just getting started.